Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights Podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two special guests, Senta and Stefan. Senta and Stefan, would you like to introduce yourselves? Maybe Senta, you go first. Yeah, thanks for, for having me, for having us, uh, Tom. So my name is Senta Balai. I work in SAP. I'm an industry solution manager, and I look after uh, the, the transportation space of, of passengers, uh, mainly rail and transit. Uh, but in my previous life as well, I've been uh, heavily involved in the in the shipping industry. I was actually a, a marine uh, deck officer, and I think the last ship that I worked on was a four thousand container ship uh, as as a chief mate. So uh, happy to be here and share our experiences and then see how how this goes. Uh, maybe Stefan, you want to go ahead as well. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Uh, thank you, Senta, for having me. My name is Stefan Sauer. I'm also part um, of the industry business unit for travel and transportation here at SAP. So I look after the uh, maritime transportation industry, just following along what kind of trends there are, what kind of imminent problems there are in the industry, and um, then evaluating how SAP and SAP's ecosystem can help uh, tackle those problems with our solutions. And obviously, very happy to have Senta on the call to give us hands-on experience of what life at tech uh, looks like. And that's exactly what we want to talk about today. Yeah, kudos, Senta. I, I could never work on, a, on on ships like that. I get seasick. So I, I can't stay five minutes on a boat. I can't imagine being on one for months at a time. Um, we're, we're here anyway to talk about some of the challenges that are happening in, in supply chain and, and how they're being impacted. But... You know, the headlines we're seeing around a lot of these talk about, you know, the millions and billions that are being lost as a result of these foul-ups, uh, but they don't talk so much about the the human impact. Is is that something that you want to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, prior COVID, obviously, like, uh, things were different, <laughs> like everything else. And, and in shipping, uh, it has its own salient futures, like... The job is is not uh, near your family. You have you have to go somewhere to work, and that somewhere is not something that you'll come back uh, at night. Uh, you you really have to stay for some time, and it's not even like a week. So I think I remember back in the days the contracts were like four months at a minimum, and they go up to ten months. And I remember there are you know kind of a, you know how much sea mile you have, or I think. Uh, uh, seafarers days we call it uh, like just in the piloting world how much miles you have flown and uh, for for getting up in, in the cycle of your career development you have to have a certain amount of days on sea so that also matters and you even though you don't want to work that much you still have to achieve those those required dates to go to the next steps now within this constraint uh, there's also the industry itself uh, there is you know countries with huge maritime fleets which own and operate and regulates the industry. There is also kind of a, a flag of convenience type of, of countries where a lot of ships are registered 
both from a business perspective as well as convenience perspective uh, for the owners. And there's a huge amount of, uh, I think, around more than a million uh, population uh, working on those different ships. So people are coming from different countries to work both for the maritime nations as well as flag of country, flag of convenience nations. So within all this, you know, lots of dynamics, uh, <laughs> the COVID happened. So when you see this, you know, prior there was already challenges. Uh, when do I sign off? When do I come out? And then all of a sudden, uh, different countries came up with no more movement, uh, travel bans. And as, as a ship person coming from one country to another, you, you still have to fly through those countries to join your ship. That whole thing was kind of an afterthought. Uh, it's just like, you know, essential workers came to be known as essential workers because like, oh, we need to move from A to B. We need the food. We need to, the, the things to, to, uh, to, to function properly. And the shipping was exactly the same. So the, the shipping industry, the crew, uh, became kind of a, an afterthought in, in a certain way. But sooner or later, people understood that, you know, our containers should come, the fuel should come. So the essential nature of, of uh, the, the, the maritime crew came to, to the fore as well. So with that, you know, things are still a little bit shaky. There are still a lot of people. I, I have my mates. I chat with them. They have been delayed a, a, a couple of times before they sign off or there are the other relievers come in and, 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 and help them out. But yeah, I, I would in a, in a nutshell say, you know, just like the same way that, you know, the travel industries, uh, uh, employees globally are, are experiencing different challenges, the same type of challenges exist and maybe even in a multiple way when it comes to the shipping industry. That's, that's a kind of... A, and in a nutshell, how how this thing is evolving as as we speak right now. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't imagine that, that must be really hard on on family life if you're away from anywhere from four to ten months at a time, right? That's that's true. That's true. And and now it's like uh, when you go, you kind of are aware that something might happen, like an omicron that your coming back might not be exactly on time. So you will prepare yourself and uh, you are still like uh, trying to control as much as you can, but you are dependent on a lot of other factors than, than were previously. But yeah, it's very tough life. And I, I mean, I left in 2008. Uh, I still have my, my, my friends, my colleagues, uh, there are senior people there, but still you see like, yeah, there's, it's a tough life uh, to, to, to maneuver, especially during a broken supply chain where the broken part is also people. Uh, it's very tough. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, people talk about the tough life that truckers have, but they're usually not gone for more than a couple of days at a time. So, and even, I mean, they're having a tough time. And, and I saw a, a kind of, kind of a, a, a tangent, a tangential point to your point there, Senta, was that I saw when Omicron first broke, uh, all flights in and out of South Africa, for example, were suspended. And I saw the South African health minister going, but you can't do that. How are we going to get vaccines? And because all the vaccine flights flying into the country were stopped. And, you know, so it, it's, it's very much, you know, there there are reactions put in place without thinking through all the consequences always and and you know that that has big problems so in that case for the vaccine supply chain but to your point as well in 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 the shipping for 
seafarers who are maybe stuck in some port somewhere because they've been quarantined or a, a ship can't come and collect them. That, that's true. And I mean, also like uh, on the technology side, like, okay, we know that the vaccines are there, but they have to be delivered, right? In the same way, you know, in the shipping industry, uh, we know uh, like uh, lots of goods and services come to us, uh, but we don't, we don't actually see how it's being transported. So what you don't see it doesn't feel like it exists. And, you know, we were talking earlier with Stefan as well, like, you know, he looks after the technology and, you know, how things are evolving. Uh, but at the same time, when you see how it's happening, for example, you know, the largest shipping companies right now are really consolidated, I believe. And there are very few of them that are humongous and huge. And they are part of a, a well-run discipline, well-run industry, uh, regulated under specific, you know, well, well-meaning countries as well. But, you know, the lower part, there's a huge set of ships that are run from different countries, from different regions. And imagine that, for example, as you said, South Africa, if a, a large company's ship is there, there is a mechanism, there is connections to the regulators to actually influence and say, you know what, <laughs> the vaccines should come the same way, you know, you know what, the food resources, the fertilizer should come, and you can't influence things. But the human aspect of, you know, how this industry is is kind of stratified as well is, is also a bit of a challenge. Yeah, Stefan, talk a little, to me a little bit about some of the technologies here and how they can help. Well, technology, I think, um, especially when we include the human side of things and want to help the human side, I think there's pros and cons to new technologies. And Sente can talk maybe later on a little bit about how technologies have influenced the human side of, of a seafarer in a negative way because of things getting more efficient and, you know, the turnaround time in ports have, have decreased quite a lot. But on the other hand, I mean, if we look at, let's say, the travel sector and we look at all the different technologies we can now apply from a travel perspective, we can get much more information about the country we travel to. We can exchange much more information with people we're going to meet in the future with things like Uber, um, delivery apps and so on. We can actually reach out to shops that we don't have to go to in person anymore. And when we look at the, let's say, daily troubles of uh, seafarers right now they travel from country to country and usually they look forward to a port call because they can get off the vessel they can get some groceries to to get new supplies for their vessel they can get some medical attention if they need to um, and maybe they have even a couple of hours for leisure to just stroll around somewhere that was pre-covid now in every country you have different prerequisites of getting into the country at all, are you allowed off the vessel at all, and so on. So there's not that much human interaction anymore that you can do. However, there is still the need for groceries, medical attention, and so on. So technology can help you at least getting virtually connected to people who can supply the supplies, the services to you, or at least give you the advice what to do when you get to the port. And you can do that already at the port prior to the port call that you're now planning. And that's kind of the obviously not cutting edge technology. That's sort of technology that has evolved in the last five to 10 years, but it comes in very handy for us as travelers. Obviously, we all look up immigration policies, especially nowadays in COVID that can change every day. But for seafarers, this is also a very valuable piece of information to um, to be able to not only understand what's going on at the, at the next port, but also to get advice, to get groceries if they are not able to get hold of it themselves because they are not allowed off the vessel or out of the terminal anymore. And, and I mean, Stephen, I remember, for example, 
uh, again, I have to be very careful. I'm talking about 2008, before 2008. So that was the last time I was actually on a ship working. And that time, I think iPhone came in 2009, I believe, or 2007, almost that time. Seven. Iphone, first iPhone was 2007. So I, I don't think any iPhone came on a ship at that time. I believe so. <laughs> but you, you can imagine, like, I remember uh, internet connectivity was, there was a company called Inmersats, and they have an Inmersat A, Inmersat B, and internet connectivity was very, very expensive. That's it's only the ship's captain sending specific messages for back and forth. And that's mostly like, you know, this is the license, this is the list of containers, this is the list of people, you know, main official businesses. And then now imagine internet is ubiquitous. So all those, you know, things that we take for, for, for granted, 2008, they were not there. I would assume, for example, now I have some some mates uh, actually sending me WhatsApp messages and, and and talking with each other, and you know there's groups of people doing like just like here. So it's kind of you know connectivity and technology has changed, but I would definitely argue like what Stephen said, you know the actual business of you know, supplying the provisions, uh, you know this is our ETA, this is the type of things that we are seeing that needs maintenance, you know, taking it back. I would believe like back in the days, taking a picture of something that needs to be maintained and then sending it and back was kind of like you have to wait for the report or have the communications channels. So I think just connectivity has changed a lot of things. But I, I also believe like the processes associated, you know, when you arrive at the port, uh, the process related to what comes first, what comes next, uh, going up abroad, getting the permissions and we, we don't have kind of a visa for for a country when you arrive it's more like uh, you, you you check if everybody has the right uh, uh, seaman certificate the right you know id and uh, and so forth so the process is simpler but at least you know that also has to be expedited by the connectivity that's being pr produced so a lot of changes I, I would presume that technologies has brought on, on the shipping side as well as on the personal side and I guess that uh, uh, every hour a seaman can spend uh, at shore is, is really valuable in the port. So if you can expedite those processes, everyone's happy to spend maybe one or two more hours at shore if they have the opportunity. I believe so. To, to, to the point about connectivity, I remember when the Ever Given ship got stuck in the Suez Canal, one of the first and most famous pictures of it was taken by a crew woman on the ship who was immediately behind it and she had an Instagram account and she took it on her Instagram account and it immediately went viral and obviously you know to, to your point center about there having been no uh, iPhones or very very little connectivity back in 2007 2008 the idea of being able to tweet or post on Instagram a photograph from a ship is just kind of mind-blowing, I guess, for, for people now th thinking back. It's true. Um, it's true. And, and, and I, I want to add on that one because you brought up the evergreen because uh, there is this thing in, in, in our, in, I would say, in our industry. Now I'm in the, in, the, in the technology industry, but I still feel like I'm in my own industry, <laughs> right? So there is this thing like, uh, you know, when incidents happen, uh, people kind of focus on it and like, oh, what was the regulation? What was the situation? And so on. So things kind of change. So I, I, I was checking, you know, what's happening with Ever, uh, Ever Given. And uh, because of that incident, you know, 90% of international shipping passes uh, is, is, is on, on 
on ships uh, and a significant amount of it passes through the Swiss Canal. And people have become aware and that awareness is very high. But in addition to that one, uh, you know, after that, the ship was pulled out. Uh, but at the same time, the insurance process, you know, you just cannot let go because there was a lot of uh, uh, cost associated with both the, the towing as well as the other ships that were there. The people, they would be also affected because they were they were there. And this, because it's a kind of a very significant company ever given, uh, what if, you know, this happened with a smaller company, uh, which doesn't have that much of resources? And I was checking a couple of uh, information, and you can see, like, even uh, if, let's say, hypothetically, if the, if the ship was a, of a, uh, for a smaller company with a flag of convenience, uh, the, the likelihood that uh, they will bail out the ship, pay for whatever insurance, is, is very low, and the, the the ship crew might have been stranded for a long time then. Than, than what we can imagine. And there are cases like that that's happening as well in, in different parts of the world. So, yeah. Right. And Senta, Stefan mentioned earlier how technology can have a negative impact as well on seafarers. Do you want to, you said, you said you might expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I would say, you know, like in a, in a much similar way, like when, when you are setting, uh, Back in the days, it was, uh, you know, human, human, human beings, you know, we, we like to be together with other people. You want to experience the daily routine, going out, meeting people and coming back to bed and so on and so forth, right? So a ship is kind of a very unique environment where back in the days, you know, the, the, the cargo that was loaded was in, in, in bales, in bundles. So literally uh, going to a port means it will take you a lot of time to bring the assets on board or the cargo, the freight on board, and then it's charging them on, outside. So it, it was a significant amount of time that your port of stay was back in the days. And I have, I've seen like people actually make their homes in, in those ports. So their, their families join them, their kids join them. And, and it's, it's basically like, oh, I'm going to go to one city, like it might be a longer trip, but still you are coming to your home port. So the the, the, the family nature is, is kind of much more easier back in the days. Now what technology brought, so the containerization, the, spe the specialization of ships, is that uh, now one large ship with 12,000 containers might be manned by fewer than 14, 15 people and when you arrive at the port, literally like four or five gantry crates, they call them the large ones at the port, and they work in four shifts uh, simultaneously, 24 hours, especially in, in the Far Eastern ports. And I, I remember like those type of ships, they come and go like uh, in 18 hours, in 19 hours, like it, it, the ship is there and all of a sudden it's not there the next day. Like how, how, how fast do they work? And imagine this, effect on the people that are working on the ships. So before, like literally, like you arrive at the port, you, you stop the ships and then you are with, with family if, if it was your home port. If not, you still have like strong connections and, and basically kind of a continuity of life. Now, if you have a four year, a four month contract, six months contract on a ship, literally you are on the ship. Even if you are arriving at the port, you won't have enough time to go back and forth. And I think this is applicable mostly for the container type of ships, but all of the specialized type of ships are also in, in that vein. So it has a, a double-edged sword, I would say, in terms of the effects that it had on, on people that are working on the ships. 
And if we if we look to the future uh, of shipping, I mean, shipping is not the most sustainable form of transport, given that, you know, a lot of these big container ships, they use bunker fuel, which is kind of cheap and nasty. Uh, the the amount of emissions they give out, not just in terms of carbon, but also SOx and NOx, where SOx is you know sulfur sulfur oxides and NOx is nitrous oxides, you know, and particulate matters, uh, horrendous for the environment of people living in an area around a port, for example. How are we fixing that? It's a big, big challenge of course because there's heaps of container vessels out there or cargo vessels in general out there and they usually you know are in service for decades so i think especially when you talk about emissions i mean i've once uh, saw uh, seen a statistics that said if, if shipping was a country it would have you know would be the the fourth largest um, country for from an emissions point of view and that is that is quite something um, on the other hand to put it into perspective if you put emissions per ton transported it's still much more sustainable than air cargo right because you've got just so much cargo mm-hmm. on one vessel so we should we should always put that into perspective um, nevertheless it's a big big hurdle because as i said the um, time and service is pretty long so it's not like that new machinery like in trucking for instance would replace and make it much cleaner so um, when uh, imo 2020 which was a regulation that came about at the beginning of 2020 to reduce the sulfur emissions um, with vessels came in um, the companies were obviously looking at well, we can't build new vessels and just get rid of the old ones. So we would have to retrofit the old ones with scrubbers, as they call it, which was basically a, you know, a, something like a catalyst um, technology to reduce emissions and collect the the emissions somewhere else and get rid of it. So that's that's one of the challenges. Which the fear is always that it makes shipping and transportation much more expensive. Of course, that is one of the things, but, uh, you know, Tom, you're doing also climate podcasts, so you know that all the sustainable efforts, or most of them also come at a cost, and we would have to see how we make it more efficient to sort of cope with these costs incurred in there. Um, so, yeah, for, for people, I think it's going to be a shift, similar what we see in cars, to new types of propulsion and also new types of um, of fuels. Um, there are certain prototypes in Norway, for instance, for fully electric vessels, which is kind of a very interesting thing to look at. But obviously, you can't have electric vessels that go trans-Pacific or Asia to Europe in the near future. That's going to take a lot of time to get there. So um, that's one of the things. Uh, let's say a hardware change and new vessels coming in, new technology coming in that reduces the emissions. Um, At the same time, we also need to look at how can we reduce emissions in a more, um, let's say, effective way. Because if you look at the trade lanes, you have two major trade lanes. Trans-Pacific means Far East to North America and then Asia to Europe. These are by far the most popular trade lanes, if you wish. And if you talk about containerized goods, well, these containers need to go back somehow. And how do you do that? Um, at the moment, they are shipped back on the same vessel. So you need the same amount of vessels to go back to Asia um, because they need the exact same space for empty containers as they do for full containers. And obviously, the vessels need to go back anyhow, right? So um, mm, that, yeah. that is obviously something that, that we, we can't avoid. But... You know, there's some technology coming like folding containers that you can fold containers so you can transport more empty containers 
on the same space as loaded containers. And then you could think about different types of loops then, because you don't necessarily need to go Asia, Europe, and then directly back, but you could do different loops that make the whole chain a little bit more effective and efficient and therefore also more sustainable. And I don't think it has a big effect on the seafarers because currently, Santa, you can allude to that as well, yeah. their shifts usually don't start and end at the same port. They are going from somewhere to somewhere and need to be flown back to their home country. So even if the vessel is then doing a round-the-world loop, if you wish, um, for the seafarers, it's it's still the same thing, but they obviously operate on a, on a vessel um, that is a bit more efficient, and therefore um, the backlogs that we currently see in LA, for instance, might be less because we have less vessels that need to be loaded, unloaded, and so on. Um, yeah. One of the things that could happen in the future, I think. Uh, and I will add on the so totally. I mean, it's it's uh, especially like the sustainability aspects. Uh, on the people side, you know, the ships are old, some of them. And uh, the regulations are coming. And sometimes, just like on land, you know, the, 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 the role of the individual user being responsible for being green versus the, the, the manufacturer or the operator or the company that are building the technology being green. So sometimes I see, like even in Marpol uh, 2020, it's like, who is going to execute on this one? Is it the end? So that's where the seafarers are going to be affected, right? Okay, you, reducing speed is one form, but at the same time, you are kind of um, trying to enforce on an old ship where technology is not fully available for you, and this is going to be applicable for everybody. So it's like you have to recycle your, your bottles and uh, like that, but what if the manufacturers actually produced plastic that's easily recyclable and then putting it back into from the from the circulation is responsibility of the manufacturer. So th that type of challenge is there as well from a human elements perspective. But I agree with you, Stefan. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a tough uh, space when it comes to pollution. Uh, uh, it's a huge industry where quite a number of the fleets are old. So hope, you know, technology will be an answer in the near future. Yeah, I think we're seeing some kind of an analogous shift in the uh, personal vehicle and, you know, the, the car and van and truck sector, for example. And a lot of that was driven by regulation. You had regulation in China about new energy vehicles, which came into force in 2019. And you had emissions regulations, which came into force in Europe in 2020. And that has had an enormous impact on the sale of electric vehicles. The I think the sale of electric vehicles in Europe in 2019 was 2%. In 2020, it was 6%. And in 2021, it went higher than 16%. So it's on that kind of S curve. So I'm just curious in terms of shipping, how much of this is down to technology and how much of it is down to actual regulation? And I, I get that it's difficult with shipping to do regulation because, as you mentioned, Senta, a lot of ships are from ports with flags of convenience. But I mean, or from... from countries of flags of convenience. But I mean, if they're calling into ports, the court, the ports that they call into can have regulations, I assume, which would then impact on the ships calling into them. Correct. I mean, on the one hand side, when you, when you talk to uh, shipping companies, they often say, well, we have a 
big disadvantage compared to aviation because aviation has IATA that does a lot of regulations for the entire industry and we don't have that. And true, I mean, there's obviously regulatory bodies for some parts of it, but not for the entirety of shipping. So there's not one regulate, regulatory agency that would be able to impose regulations on the entire industry. However, there are potential ways from a regulation point of view that could support it. There is a bilateral regulation regulation might be the wrong word, but a bilateral agreement between China and the US to um, to set up a, a green corridor, so to say, for shipping between the port of LA and I would, uh, a port in China. So um, that kind of thing can then support, you know, greener vessels that are being preferred at these very crucial terminals and ports. And that kind of bilateral agreement can help both countries to obviously um, support and and incentivize shipping companies to think about greener vessels because they get advantages from these bilateral agreements. And if more of those existed, um, then obviously this this could be one one way forward. Gents, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question I haven't asked you that you wish I had or any aspect of this that we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? I think from my perspective is we've t- we've touched on obviously the life of, of seafarers and how hard this can be and in general of all people that make our transportation chains run on a day-to-day basis. And I think one of the questions we might ask ourselves, what can we do as consumers to help the people that run our transportation chain on the day-to-day basis. And it's a bit tough to, to answer that because the answer, if we then say we only buy locally, then you know we're reducing the demand and that's probably not what these people want because then their jobs are in danger. But there's little things I think we can just think about when we order stuff. You know, Is it really necessary to, to order stuff and how does it actually get to my place in the, in the first place? When it comes to you know outside of the ocean space, looking at road transportation, just uh, think about, you know, the truck drivers that you meet on the road every day, the the people that deliver the parcels to you, and just think about what a day in a life looks like for them, because you only see them this blink of an eye on the on the road or when they deliver the parcel to you, and then just imagine what a day in a life looks like to them, and that might change your perspective a little bit on what these people do actually for you to make your life more convenient. And, and from my side, I think... Uh... Touching on what Stephen said, like buying locally versus, I mean, it's a struggle between globalization and localization in in some perspective because the whole concept of globalization came into being because of this container and it can be moved easily from one place to another. And that also has a lot of consequences. So right now we are in in a world where localization is kind of uh, the mantra in, in a certain sense, but at the same time, you know, do we want uh, cheaper products? Uh, do you want the the, the simplest uh, things manufactured at scale because it's it's of benefit for everybody, uh, both the manufacturers and and then the, the consumers, and at the same time the people that are involved in delivering in the supply chain. So I think I would say, you know, the localization and and globalization and how it affects the the people in 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 this industry, and maybe the second one might be. You know, kind of the divide between I think the, the largest uh, maritime nations uh, in terms of crew is like uh, China, Philippines, uh, 
Indonesia and India, I believe, those are the largest. And you can see like, you know, who is working on those ship and, and trying to understand, you know, we are all connected in, in some form of the other, especially as, you know, we all eat, uh, we all drink, we all have aspirations and those type of global versus local, I think that's, uh, it's kind of a more of a question than an answer that I would, I would say. There's something to ponder on as well. Folks, if people want to know more about yourself, Senta or Stefan or any of the topics we discussed on the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? Uh, if, if I can start. So, uh, I mean, we uh, are, I mean, like I moved into the technology world. So there's a lot of things that I pursue in terms of technology and our company pursues in technology and helping the shipping industry as well. So I, I, I would recommend people to uh, to, to, to go and check out, you know, our community websites for SAP. Uh, we'll, we'll share it later. And then the second one I would say is like, you know, the International Maritime Organization, IMO, is still uh, the main regulator of this industry and has a lot of uh, influence both at the regulators level and the, and, the, and the society's level when it comes to shipping. So checking out their websites about the latest uh, approach that they are doing is, is really good. And perhaps the final one is like uh, the International Transportation Federation where they look after the, the, mari- the marines and the mariners. It's, it's really an interesting one and we'll be able to share that with you as well. So that's that's the ones that I will recommend from my side. Yeah. On top of that, I mean, there's a couple of uh, news feeds, I think, specifically for the shipping industry that are kind of interesting because they allude to, you know, the human side, the technology side and the economic side, like shippingwatch.com, for instance. Um, Also, um, I'm trying to um, look up all the different developments, not only in the shipping industry, but also in the truck and rail industry and how it connects with technology and share that on my LinkedIn profile. So I encourage everyone, all the listeners to um, to connect with me or follow me and um, not just to look at what's going on in the industry, but I'd really in- be interested in also your insights and perspectives. So getting, touch, getting in touch with me, discussing all these new developments and what your perspective is on that. Cool, cool. That's great. Superb. Stefan, Senta, that's been fantastic. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster, and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.